listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. A copy of your scripture, uh, the Bible, if you would go ahead and turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 here in just a moment. Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to be. And I want to begin by asking this question, or first a statement. All of this, as we grew up, whether you grew up with your grandparents or your parents, all of us had things that our parents or grandparents said to us that drove us insane, right? Like things they would say that just, like, why do you have to say that to me? Why do you have to ask me that question? I want you to take a moment with whoever's around you and take a moment. What is, what is maybe one thing, or it could be a couple of things, but what is one thing that your parents said to you or maybe, yeah, I guess the main thing is said to you growing up that just kind of drove you crazy and, and you said, if and when I'm ever a parent, I will never say that. All right, I'll go ahead and share with the people around you. Okay, anybody willing to tell me what what your thing was that your parents said that kind of, yes, ma'am. Because I said so. so. You know, one time I was in the grocery store and this parent or this kid kept asking their parent over and over, why can't I have it? Why can't I have it? And finally, without the parent even saying anything, the little kid was like, let me guess, because you said so. I'm like, you're going to get slapped soon. (laughs) Anybody else? Something that uh, your parents said that just, why do you have to say that? Anybody? Rule number 99, parents can change their minds. I've never heard that one. (laughs) We'll have to ask Ms. Pam about that one. She made it up. Uh, Not even cool. All right, anybody else? Anybody from this section? Use your own money. Use your own money. Anyone been told that in the past week from your parents? (laughs) Yes, uh, several honest people, yeah. I remember one for me. Um, that I don't know if my parents said a ton, but I just heard growing up was you'd be upset about something and your parents or whoever would say, you know what, sometimes life just isn't fair. And you want to say, but it should be, right? Life should be fair. Why is it not fair? And I think we want life to be fair because if it's fair, if there's like this system where it's fair, then we feel like we can control it, right? Meaning if, if, if I'm a good person, and life is fair, then, I, then my life should be what? Yeah, perfect or good, right, yeah. And if I'm a bad person and life is fair, if I'm a bad person, then life should be bad. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you got men. We're doing good this morning, this morning tonight. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we want this fair system because we, we think then we could control it. Are you with me? But the problem is the idea that we can control life and it be fair, that's, that's not real, Right? My buddy Garrett, I remember the summer that he got married, man, he, life was just, he was on cloud nine. He was, 
having such a good time. So got married, super excited, uh, married Chelsea. Man, what, when was that, like 2015? It's been a while now, 2014. Anyways, got married. Uh, so he's got this wonderful new wife. He's, he was killing in his job as the high school pastor here, doing great. Like ministry was growing. Life is good. Walk with God was good. And he even, he felt like the Lord smiled upon him and allowed him to get the exact brand new Jeep that he wanted. Some of y'all remember that Jeep, man, this really cool color. He was so excited about it. And it really was. It was like he would just kind of float through the room because just my life was so good. I got a wife, killing it at my job, walking with the Lord, and now the Lord has smiled upon me with a new Jeep, right? Life was just so good. He was killing it. And uh, probably about five days into having his Jeep, we used to park, our offices used to be on that far side over there. And um, I guess they still are actually for the student ministry. Anyways, uh, he, with his new Jeep, he didn't want to park close to someone, someone and for it to get scratched. So there was this trailer parked out against the back of the parking lot near the hotel. He thought, I'll park by the trailer. No one else can park by me and it'll be great. So he backed his Jeep into that trailer. Well, late, or not into the trailer, beside the trailer. And I'm getting ahead of myself in the story. So then for lunch, he was in a hurry to go somewhere. He forgot he was parked by the trailer, turned real hard and just scratched the entire side of his brand new Jeep. And I remember he walked up into the office and he looked white. He was just like, <sighs> I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, I think I'm going to throw up. Well, if you know Garrett, he throws up a lot anyway. <laughs> He's just kind of sick all the time uh, for no reason, it seems like. And he was like, I think I'm going to throw up. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? He said, my Jeep just got scratched. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, let me rephrase, I just scratched my brand new Jeep. And he kind of, when I understood this story, I hurt for him. It was like, yeah, bro, that really sucks. And I think what added to the agony is it was like, everything was going so good. Life is perfect. I, he's like, I'm doing good. And now this really, though it was my own doing, this really bad thing happened. Sometimes life is just not fair, right? You think, you feel like you're doing the right things and then bad stuff happens. The question I don't really want to ask tonight, but it's a similar thing is like, why do bad things happen to good people when you seem to be doing the right thing? If there's anyone in the history of planet Earth that would have had those feelings of how come I'm doing good things but bad things are happening, it's this guy named Joseph in Genesis 37 where we're going to start tonight. Man, I think the story of Joseph is one of the coolest stories ever. I'm going to invite you to try to um, listen as though you've never heard it. Maybe, maybe you haven't heard it, and that's even better. But super cool story. Well, here's what you need to know about Joseph. He was kind of the goody-goody. Like he was, in a sense, he would have been the teacher's pet, the parent's favorite. Let me ask you, just because you're the teacher's pet, does that mean that like you're a bratty kid? Not necessarily. I mean, it could be, right? Especially when you're the bad kid, you definitely think the goody-goody's a jerk. Like they're such a little bratty snot nose, right? But just because the, the, your parent, you're the parent's favorite, which Lauren and I don't have favorites, we just say we have a twin of the day. Um, and so um, it's normally, the twin of the day is normally the one that didn't cry very much. But... Um, it, Joseph would have been that, the goody-goody, the teacher's pet, the parent's favorite. That's, that's who he was. But again, it doesn't mean he was a bad guy. Check this out. Verse, if you're not sure you believe me, check this out. Verse 3 of chapter 37. Now Israel, which that's another name for Jacob, which was uh, Joseph's dad. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. I love that the Bible just, the Bible can't lie. It's just straight up honest, right? Like if you ask me, who's your favorite kid? I'm like, I don't really have one. And Lauren's like, yes, you do. Don't lie. Anyways. He loved him more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Boy, got a sick jacket. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to, peacefully to him. Excuse me. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. 
<laughs> a lot of hate going on. He said to them, hey, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you for real? Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Anybody relate to that with your siblings? Don't say anything. Okay. Verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Why do you think, Jacob Israel, why do you think he kept, it says that he kept this, um, this saying in mind. Why do you think he kept this dream in mind? I think it's because he started to suspect that maybe Joseph wasn't just like playing video games late at night and having weird dreams, but that maybe God was the one actually giving Joseph these dreams. So he tells Joseph, hey, you know, be wise. Don't be telling your brothers these dreams about them bowing down to you. That's not going to turn out well, right, for your older brothers. But Jacob keeps it in his mind like maybe, maybe God's up to something. See, Joseph isn't just a little brat kid. Here's the reality. If God were giving, if truly God was giving you clear dreams at night with a, a, that you felt like was, there was a purpose and a meaning behind it, all of us would share that with people, right? We would be like, man, I don't know what God's doing, but here's what's going on. Joseph isn't a bad guy. He's not being a jerk. He's just sharing the dreams he's having. His dad picks up on it. And part of the way we know Joseph is a good guy, if you read the next verses, I'm not going to because we're going to cover a lot of territory tonight. But um, in verses 12 through 17, Jacob, Israel, asks uh, or tells Joseph, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers. They're out tending sheep. They're about 40 miles away. I want you to go check on them. A couple of things going on. One, dad wants to see if his sons are acting a fool, right? Hey, I need you to go check on them. But also, he trusts Joseph. He trusts Joseph to, to be responsible, to not be a fool, but to actually go see what's going on and come back and give a report. Not just to be a tattletale, but to be a responsible young man. So he sends Joseph to do that. Again, because he's a good guy. Verse 18. His brothers are out taking care of the sheep out in the middle of nowhere. Verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. This is going well. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. I don't know how they talked, actually. <laughs> Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams, that little fool. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued, rescued him out of their hands, saying, Come on, let's not take his life. And Reuben said to them, don't shed any blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. See, uh, Reuben was trying to rescue them out of their hands and, and really he wanted to get Joseph back to his father. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they tore off his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. In the beginning of verse 25, it says, then they sat down to eat. Why does it, why does it mention, this is such a random detail, like, oh, they had some fried chicken. Why, did they, why does it say they sat down to eat? Any guesses? Oh my gosh, yes, they weren't bothered by it. How evil do you have to be? Hey, there's our brother. We hate him. Let's, let's kill him. And then the older brother's like, well, I don't know if we should kill him or if we should kill him. He is our brother. Let's just throw him in this pit and he can just die in the pit. 
great idea, bro. They throw him in the pit. He's just like probably a stone's throw away in this pit. And they're like, hey, let's cook some dinner. We left our brother to die, but let's cook some dinner. How callous do you have to be? Joseph, good guy. The brothers, good guys or bad guys? Terrible, right? Really bad guys. And if you read, the, we're not going to, but in the next section, it says in verses 25 through 28, um, Judah, I think it is, yeah, sees these Ishmaelite, Midianite tra uh, traders coming through. And he says, you know what? Again, he's our brother. Let's, let's sell him to them. And they can do whatever they want with him. But then it's kind of off of our hands. We can still get rid of our brother, but we won't really be guilty. We won't be really responsible for it, which is ridiculous. So they sell him to these traders. This is terribly messed up. <laughs> Joseph... Is a, is a good guy. His brothers are, are not just jerks, they're, they're evil. And Joseph is the one that loses everything. His life is wrecked. He's so, think about like, we don't have time to really sink into this, but think about how terrifying that would be. You're going to do your dad's work and go check on your brothers. And next thing you know, you're sold into slavery and you don't even know where you're going and what these people are gonna do with you. Probably didn't even speak the same language. He, though he's a good guy, is treated like trash. And his brothers, who are evil, life doesn't change them. Life doesn't get any worse. They just keep on doing their sinful things. Like, what's the point of being a good guy? What's the point of being, like, the, <laughs> the good, respectable person in your family if it's not going to get you anywhere? I don't know about your lives, but talking with some of y'all... I think it's safe to say that you've experienced frustration of, man, I'm like the one person in my family who's trying to seek the Lord, do the right thing, pursue him. But it seems like everything is going good for my family. But for me, I can't get a step ahead. Like things are not improving in my life while my messed up brothers or uncles or sisters, whoever, they're not pursuing God. They're running from him, living how they want to. And they seem, life seems to go their way and I can't get your, catch a break. <laughs> Some of you, you're, you're not living the good life, so to speak. You're not really walking with the Lord. And it's simply because you feel like it doesn't make a difference in your sibling's life or your uncle's or aunt's life. And so you're like, man, God doesn't seem to be doing any favors for them, so why would I do it? <laughs> what good is godliness? What good is being faithful to God if it doesn't get you anywhere? You know, it's, it's when life is hard and when, when life sucks sometimes, it's really hard not to compare ourselves to others. You with me? I think that's exactly why Moses, who wrote this, who recorded all this for us, includes chapter 38 here. So here's the deal. If you're reading through Genesis in your quiet time, and you're like, I'm reading, I'm doing the, uh, going through the Bible in a year, and it's almost May, I'm still in Genesis, <laughs> which don't lose hope. You got this, bro. <laughs> but if you're doing that, you, get, you read Genesis 30, 37, you're like, oh, wow, poor Joseph. And you get to 38, and you finish reading chapter 38, and you're like, what the, I don't even know what I just read. I feel like I need to wash out my mouth with soap because that is straight up trash, bro. Chapter 38 is so weird. And I'm going to try to summarize it for you um, and not read it. But, which I encourage you to, I just, again, I'm trying to tell you the whole Joseph story tonight. Chapter 38, Judah, which is, who's Judah? He's Joseph's what? Brother. Judah, long story short, he has this son who marries this girl named Tamar. So Tamar is now Judah's what? Daughter-in-law, you with me? But Judah's son died. So he promises to Tamar, hey, if you'll wait, 
I'll, I'll eventually get you a husband. I'll take care of you. You're going to get to have children. You'll be well taken care of. Just wait. So she waits, she waits, she waits. And Judah never really follows through with arranging a husband for her. Well, one day, we don't really know why Tamar did this. Again, you can, you can kind of follow along as I'm saying this in chapter 38 if you want. We don't really know why she did this. I don't know if it was to get back at Judah or because she really wanted children. But whatever the case, she knew her plan that I'm about to tell you would work because she knew what kind of man Judah was, that he was a hypocritical pervert. So she, she finds out that Judah is, has a trip planned and she finds out where he's going. So she dresses like a prostitute's excuse me, a prostitute. And she goes to the gate of the city where Judah is going and she waits because she knows what kind of man Judah is. And sure enough, Judah, as he's walking into the city gates, he sees this woman, though he doesn't know it's tomorrow because she's covered in veil and stuff, different culture, dressed like a prostitute, doesn't recognize her and straight up says to her as he's passing her, and I won't, like the biblical way they says is pretty perverted, but he says, hey, I'm gonna have sex with you. And she says, Okay, which all like, that's your father-in-law. This is disgusting. Anyways, she says, okay. So they, they're starting to go wherever they're gonna have sex together. And she says, hey, but you're gonna have to pay me. And remember, this is a different time, but he says, okay, I don't have something to pay with right now. If, if you'll wait, I'll, get, I'll, send, I'll send a goat to you later, which is just so weird. <laughs> the whole story, I told you, it's a weird story. So um, she says, okay, that's cool. I'll wait for the goat. <laughs> I know I couldn't do that with a straight face. She said, I'll wait for the goat, but in the meantime, I need something to know that you're going to give me payment. So he gives her a few things to hang on to. They have sex together, which how he didn't know it was his daughter-in-law, I don't know. Seriously, I don't know if he was drunk. I think that's a very serious possibility based on how messed up, messed up a guy is. I don't know if he was drunk. I don't know if she, it says she had on a veil. Maybe he couldn't quite see her face. I don't want her to think about that. That's weird. Whatever the case, he didn't know it's his daughter-in-law. They have sex together. She leaves and so then Judah goes off, does his thing, and he tries to send back the goat he had promised. He sends the goat, but Tamar had already left. So the, the little boy that's got the goat, it's like, Judah, I don't know where uh, she's at. The, she's, she's not here to get the goat. <laughs> and he's like, we're going to look like fools. Just act like it didn't happen. She can keep what I gave her. Let's move on. Well, then word gets out. Well, here, what you didn't know yet, like Michael Scott says, so much for no consequences to sex Tamar was pregnant with her father-in-law, Judah's kid. Word gets out that Tamar is pregnant and word gets to Judah. And he says, you know what? Because he's supposed to act like he's a righteous God for her. He says, you know what? We're going to kill her. We're going to burn her with fire, burn her to death. She goes, to, they bring her out. And she says, one quick thing. Um, can someone show me whose uh, this stuff is? Because whoever it is, that's the baby daddy. And Judah's like, oh, dang, you're right. <laughs> And Judah says, she's more righteous than I. We're not going to kill her. But here's the crazy thing. She has the kids and nothing happens to Judah. That's one of the most messed up stories. Like if, if that, would, that would for sure make the five o'clock news, right? If something like happen, happened like that. And hopefully the dude's going to prison or just for being a weirdo, right? <laughs> nothing happens to him. Now keep that in mind perverted, sick man, does this terrible thing, really messed up, gets off really outside of like, oh, dang, you're right, being a little bit humiliated. Nothing really happens. Now contrast that with what happens with Joseph. The Judah story is really a story within the story. Get back to Joseph in chapter 39. Joseph, 
He was sold in Egypt to Potiphar, who was um, an incredibly high official in Egypt. He was an officer for Pharaoh. He was a captain of the guard. And here's the, the interesting thing. Uh, Joseph did really well in Potiphar's house. So he was a slave to Potiphar. Potiphar pretty much put him in charge of everything in his house. He said, I'm going to entrust you with everything. The only thing I'm going to worry about in my house is what I eat, which makes me think potentially that Potiphar was a fatty because he's like, you can, you can take care of everything. The only thing I'm worried about is what I put in my belly, right? <laughs> Anyways, so he's worried about that. Potiphar goes off to work every day while Joseph is working at his house. And Potiphar's wife, she's not going to work. She's working it for Joseph because she thinks Joseph is cute. Check out verse, the end of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So he's good looking and he's built. Verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, <laughs> lie with me. <laughs> Such a, the, the Bible is just straight up, man. Verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except for you. Because, hello, you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he wouldn't listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Dude, this guy has some integrity. Verse 11. But one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. By the way, I don't think Joseph ran because he was strong. I think Joseph ran because he knew he was weak and he's like, I need to get out of here. Verse 13, and as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, talking about uh, her husband, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. So she sat there all afternoon with his whatever, cloak or robe, whatever sweet, awesome outfit he had on, kept it there on the couch waiting for her husband to get home. And when he got home, she told him her side of the story, which is only half the story, but told Potiphar her side of the story. And understandably, like any husband would do, he's like, well, Joseph can't work here anymore. <laughs> so he threw Joseph into prison. <laughs> Judah, wicked man, completely like, certainly gave in to sexual temptation. He's just a, a, just a pervert and nothing happens. Joseph has unfathomable integrity. Like a, from a, whether you're a guy or a girl thinking about that, that's, that's pretty incredible integrity. It's safe to say because of who Potiphar was, his wife was probably attractive. So I don't think it's that Joseph was like, ugh, you nasty. Like, I think, I think it's safe to say that she was probably incredibly attractive. And he says, I'm not going to sin against God. Did the right thing and he got wronged. <laughs> Thrown in prison. Over and over again, Joseph does the right thing to no avail. Doesn't get him anywhere. <laughs> Man, I think about y'all 
at, at your age especially. By the way, Joseph, uh, a lot of scholars think that Joseph at the time of this, the Potiphar deal was probably in his early 20s, which, man, pretty cool. You guys are in your early 20s. <laughs> We're not going to get weird here. But I've been told that when you're in your early 20s, sexual temptation is a real thing. <laughs> For guys, some of y'all really are. You're trying to walk with God. You're remaining absent, trying to stay pure, not trying to sleep with girls or fool around, fool around. And people think you're a weirdo because of that. And you kind of probably feel like you're missing out because your buddies seem to be having a good time and not have any consequences while you're missing out. That kind of sucks. Like, what's the point of remaining faithful to God if it doesn't get you anywhere? Some of you girls, uh, it's, it's too, unfortunately, too common a story in, in church. Man, some of you girls are trying to remain faithful. You're not just going to date any guy because you have high standards. But because you won't fool around with guys, guys maybe aren't asking you on dates because they know you're not that kind of girl. So now while you're trying to remain faithful to God, you feel like you're not getting anywhere because maybe you thought, man, I thought, sure thought I'd have a boyfriend by now. Sure thought I would maybe be engaged by now. I'm in college and I thought I'd come to the end of it. Surely I would, have, I would know, like even have a boy on the radar and you feel a little bit forgotten by God and it's all because you remain sexually pure. I would imagine, it's safe to say, and kind of understandable that it's crossed your mind, is there any point to godliness? Like it's not getting me ahead at all. If anything, you maybe feel forgotten. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like when you're doing the right thing, you feel like it actually takes your life back a step. So rather like I did the right thing, God's gonna honor me and move forward. You feel like actually I'm getting further away from what my goals were. That was Joseph. He did the right thing and he ended up in prison. And not just any prison, it was in the king's prisons. This is like the highest top security prison in Egypt. He's in, the, uh, in Pharaoh's prison. Now it's interesting, as he's in prison, he, he, again, he, he does a good job. Um, he's a respectable prisoner. So he's actually, though he's a prisoner, he's put in charge of some things. And uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and um, chief baker ended up in that prison with, with Joseph. And Joseph... Because though he was a prisoner, he got to take care of people. He ends up kind of tending to the chief cup, excuse me, the chief cup bearer and the chief baker. Well, one night on the same night, the chief cup, no, nope, the chief baker and the cup, the pharaoh's cup bearer, both have dreams. Though they're different dreams, but both have them on the same night. If you check out chapter forty, uh, starting in verse six, we see Joseph. He, he's walking by, taking care of the different prisoners, and he sees something is going on. Verse six, chapter forty. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in, the, in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Come on, tell me. Which dude, that, like, what kind of, that's a pretty amazing relationship with God, right? Someone has a dream, you're like, dude, God can interpret dreams. Tell me, what's up? Like, I haven't tried that. Maybe one day, <laughs> not yet. Joseph is the real deal. Verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, Hey, here's this interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Hey, look, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. 
For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So he's like, bro, when you get out of here, just throw me a lifeline. Don't forget me. Remember where you came from, all right? Now I love this. The chief baker, he hears that the chief cupbearer got a good interpretation. So he's like, man, I like this guy. Hey, let me tell you my dream. <laughs> so he saw that his interpretation was favorable. He says, hey, here's my dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. Already a weird dream. <laughs> and he got cake on your head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. I can see Joseph going, like shaking his head like, oh, gosh. Joseph said, look, bro, here's the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. He's like, he like roasts them, like from you. He's going to take your head off. Don't lift your head up like, rise, return to your former status. So he's going to cut your head off and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. Can you imagine the, the uh, can you imagine the chief baker being like, for real, that's my interpretation? Like, can you try again with God? What's going on here? But sure enough, on the third day, which is Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Verse 23 is huge. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. Just to be clear, he forgot him. Yet once again, Joseph does the right thing, even credits God, and it gets him nowhere. We're going to see, you start at the beginning of verse 41. He was there two years, totally forgotten. <laughs> he, Joseph did the right thing. He credited God. He said, he didn't try to act boastful. I'll interpret this for you. He credited God. He's trying to be helpful. He's trying to put other people first. And it got him nowhere. Again, did the right thing, was faithful to God, did the good thing to no avail. Got him nowhere in life. How many of us, whether it be in school, at work, have tried to do the right thing, have tried to put other people first, have tried to give God credit, tried to be humble about it, and get absolutely nowhere? Well, everybody else seems like they're just leaving us in the dust. Just like the, think how frustrating that had to be. The chief cupbearer, for all we know, like didn't, didn't know anything about God, could have been a jerk. Joseph helped him, and the cupbearer gets on out. He's living the dream in Pharaoh's palace while Joseph is still in prison. <laughs> what good is godliness when it gets you nowhere? <laughs> What's the point of being faithful if you're just stuck in life all the time or taking steps backwards? See, when life is like that, when, you, when you're trying to do the right thing and it gets you nowhere, two days can feel like two years and two years can feel like two lifetimes, right? So Joseph was in prison for two, I'm in 41 now, two whole years, and then suddenly Pharaoh had a dream. He had this crazy dream that no one could interpret. He said he called in all the magicians, all the wise men from Egypt, he's the Pharaoh, so he can get everybody involved. And no one could interpret this dream. No one could figure it out. And then I love verse 9. <laughs> then the chief, uh, so verse 9, chapter 41. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Ah, I remember my offenses today. Like, ah, oh, man, I messed up. I feel like if Joseph, if there was any way that he could hear that conversation, you'd be like, You think, bro? You think you messed up? <laughs> 
When Pharaoh, and so this is the chief cupbearer remembering, he says, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And listen, Pharaoh, as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker, as you remember, you hanged him. (laughs) Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. You almost want to like jump into the story and stop Joseph and say, bro, let me, let me help you out. Come here, come here. Bro, all through your life, you've done the wrong, excuse me, you've done the right thing and it's got you nowhere. All through your life, you've honored God, you've been faithful to God. Well, no one else would have been faithful. You've been faithful and it's like God's forgotten you, bro. So just maybe this, like this is what I want to tell Joseph, maybe just this one time, just like play it cool. <laughs> you don't have to mention God, just like, just, you, you can do the right thing, but you don't have to really push it. But that's not how Joseph rolls. <laughs> to add to the tension, Pharaoh, the Pharaohs, thought of themselves as God or as gods, like a God. So to, if, if, if Joseph goes in and acknowledges a different God, even that could get him killed. Because he's basically, if he says that, he's basically saying, Pharaoh, you're, I don't think you're actually God. But Joseph, he ain't scared. And he can't quit doing the right thing, dadgummit. (laughs) Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh. First thing he says, let me tell you, Pharaoh, it is not in me, this is not about me, but God, so not you, Pharaoh, but God will give you a favorable answer. I feel like we can be pretty sure that Pharaoh's court got completely quiet at that point because seriously, Pharaoh could kill him for saying there's a different God. What's Pharaoh going to do? And Pharaoh says, let me hear about this. He lives to see another second. (laughs) So Joseph begins, or uh, Pharaoh tells him his dream. And then down in verse 25, it's about these cows, seven big cows, and then seven ugly, uh, excuse me, ugly cows. And then verse 25 Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Again, Joseph is not letting up on the God thing. Again, I don't know if he got my hint or not. And uh, he jumped down to verse 28. He says, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And just to be quick, he's saying, hey, look, the dreams are one. The seven beautiful big cows are seven good years that we're going to experience. The seven ugly cows are seven uh, famished years that are going to come. And that's what's going to happen. It's it's fixed. God's going to do it. Verse uh, 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that a thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. And then Joseph says, so you know what? Here's what I would do, Pharaoh. He gives him advice. I think you should get somebody in charge to to be really wise with these seven years and be good stewards. And then when you have the seven bad years, you have plenty of food. That's just my plan. And the craziest thing happens. By this time, reading the story, you're kind of like, all right, Joseph, man, I don't know how, where, what's he going to do now? Is he going to get like his arms cut off? Like how much worse can things get for him when he keeps doing the right thing? And for the first time, Pharaoh says, huh, that's a pretty good idea. 
Go, Joseph! <laughs> Finally! <laughs> and Pharaoh says, you know what? As far as who we're going to put in charge, you seem like a pretty wise guy. You know what? I'm not going to make you assistant to Pharaoh. I want to make you assistant Pharaoh. <laughs> I couldn't resist an office reference. <laughs> you know what? Joseph became like literally second in command in Egypt. It's amazing. Put him in charge. Verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth, so again, the known earth at that time, not from like Texas, but all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. What happened when Joseph remained faithful to God, even when it got him nowhere, God used him to provide food to the known world at that time. Did God use him in a pretty big way? Yes. <laughs> and not to mention that, if I, I again summarize and skip some of it, but Pharaoh looks at Joseph and is like, realize, man, there's something different in you. The spirit of God, he literally says, the spirit of God is in you, bro. Something's going on. So not to mention that he maybe had some sort of influence on this Pharaoh for the true God. I think this is the big idea of the story of Joseph as far as what we've looked at tonight. I think this is the truth that God wants for us to hear from the scripture. To ask it as a question first, what happens when you remain faithful to God even when it gets you nowhere? God will use you in ways you never dreamed. <laughs> what happens when you are faithful to God, when you continue to walk in godliness, even when it gets you nowhere, even when you feel like you're always taking a step back, ultimately God will use you in ways you never dreamed. This is not about you becoming the prince of Egypt or, oh, sweet, if I follow God, that means I'll be the vice president of America one day. Like, I mean, it could mean that, but that's not the idea. It's that ultimately he's going to use you in ways you couldn't dream. It could be in some what we would call from a human perspective, big thing where someone in this room is the president one day and God will use you in a crazy way. Or it could be in smaller moments. <laughs> but here's the cool thing, or well, the amazing thing. Your faithfulness sets you up to be used in those moments. I think had Joseph sinned, we know he sinned, he was a sinner, but had he like really just given up on God, I think this story isn't in Genesis or it ends way different and God has to use someone else. Here's what is so refreshing about, I think as you read Genesis, all of us love Joseph's story because it's so refreshing because he's like the first person in God's people that actually lives for God. Like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're kind of, they have a, a, lot of, a lot of mess ups. And, and so does Joseph, I'm sure he did because he wasn't the, ultimately the savior of the world. But man, he actually pursued God and was faithful to God and look what God did with him. He didn't miss his moment. Maybe your moment is just having a good conversation with somebody about who Jesus is, about the gospel. Maybe your moment is just hearing someone out encouraging them in a dark time. Maybe your moment is changing the oil and gas industry in Texas. <laughs> I don't know what your moment may be, 
but your faithfulness to God as he works in and through you sets you up to be used in those moments. How many times have I missed my moment that God wants to use me because I've either like disqualified myself because of sin or I've been distracted by sin, like not walking with God. So instead of being here where God wants to use me, I'm over here being dumb. Or maybe I'm wallowing in guilt and shame because of my sin and God's saying, bro, I don't want you to miss your moment. I'm gonna use you in amazing ways, but you've, you gotta walk with me. I wanna I want be careful here because I think there's this, I don't want to go on moralistic religion, like just be good. That's not what I'm saying. But I also think we can, I think Satan can have a little bit of fun with this. Of like, hey, it's all grace, man. It's all the gospel. Like, and that's true. It is grace and gospel. But we're fooling ourselves if we, can, if we think we can live how we want and that God's still going to use us the same. <laughs> man, don't miss your moment because you, you, get, you give in to sin. You get weak. I want to real quick, they're not on the screen, but I want to real quick um, give us like some simple applications from the story of Joseph. I think I already told you what I think the big idea is, but I want to, I want to give you some simple applications really quick. I know, I know we're out of time. Um, but as I say that, before I say this, I want to tell you this or remind you this. You may not always see how God uses you in this life, but it doesn't mean he's not using your life. <laughs> So some of you are like, man, I've been walking with God, I've been faithful, I can't see any of the fruit. That doesn't mean it's not there. <laughs> a few quick things for application. The first one is, so you're looking at the life of Joseph, looking at this idea of I want to be faithful, I don't want to miss my moment. The first one is be patient. Be patient. I was talking with Jonathan the other day. He had a great point. Man, we live in a microwave society. We want everything right now. God, use me right now. I'm being faithful. I want to see the results right now. And that's not how it is. Sometimes walking with God, being faithful to God, the results of that are like watching a plant grow. It can be really boring, but in the end, it's really beautiful, right? Be patient. Um, the next one is, maybe this sounds funny in church, but get some grit. You know, I think we're, we're kind of sissies as Christians. At least I am sometimes. Like as soon as things get hard, we just kind of give up on God. <laughs> or we, we give, God, I, don't, I can't really see where you're at, so I'm going to give in to this sin. I remember uh, my parents used to take me when I was real little to like, do swimming lessons at the YMCA or something. I don't really remember exactly, but they've told me this story so many times that when I was doing swimming lessons, um, I would swim, swim, swim across. You had to, the, to graduate from the class, you had to, to swim all the way across from one side to the other. So I'd swim, 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 and get about a foot and a half, or however, however that far that is, a foot and a half, two feet from the other side. And they'd be standing there, come on, you're so close, you can do it. But I would get that close, freak out that I wasn't gonna make it and turn around and swim all the way back. And they would, they said every time, I don't know how old it was, I guess four or five or something, they'd, they'd get me out of the pool and say, you were, they're trying to be patient, but like, you were so close, like, don't turn around. I wonder how many times in, in, in my life, in your life, man, we're swimming, we're being faithful to God and we're about to reach this breakthrough. He's about to use us in this, in this big way. Again, big doesn't mean famous, but just like this really cool way with another person or with a group or whatever. We're so close, so close to having breakthrough from sin, uh, breakthrough even like mentally with struggles where God's gonna use us in a big way. We get so close and we're like, I can't really see how far it is. I'm just gonna go back to the way I used to live. And God's like, you're so close. Don't miss your moment. Don't give up. Get some grit. Let's quit being sissies, me included. 
What could God do with you and me if we were faithful, even when it's tough? The, the uh, third thing I want to say, so we got be patient, get some grit, trust God. Trust that he's doing something good. We always get tunnel vision when life gets hard. Like we get folks, it's, all, it's so bad, all I can see is this problem. And God's like, hey, there's a bigger picture. Trust me, I'm doing, I'm doing something. The, so trust God. And the fourth thing I would say is remember Jesus. <laughs> there's no better example of what we're talking about than Jesus of being faithful and over and over, go, over and over again facing hardship, but in the end being used by God. Like that's a way understatement, right? <laughs> Joseph was used by God to provide food for the known world at that time. Jesus was used by God to provide salvation to everybody. That's kind of cool. <laughs> and here's what I want to say on that. I think some of you, not all of you, but a few of you are like me in, in the room and you're hearing this tonight and you're already like, oh, I've messed up so many times. Gosh, I need to be more patient. I need to get some grit. Man, I've failed so many times. I've missed so many moments. Don't miss your moment because of missed moments. So don't like miss what God may want to do tonight or tomorrow or the next day because you feel bad about the past moments that you messed up. Philippians 3, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the, per, the perfect Joseph. So again, that's where the gospel comes in. You're not gonna be perfect. You rely on Jesus. And because of that, you can move forward in boldness knowing that you are free and forgiven. So now I'm gonna live for him. Remember Jesus. Here's how I want to end. Thanks for being patient. I know it was super long, but we just covered like a ton. <laughs> if you read the rest of the story, eventually, it's a long story, but Joseph restores his family with his relationship. It's super dramatic. It's super awesome. Family moves to Egypt. And after their dad dies, the brothers, they're like, oh, crap. Now that dad's dead, we're dead. <laughs> Because Joseph, he was probably being nice to us because dad was still alive. But now that he's gone, man, Joseph is going to kill us or do something terrible. So they go in like begging for mercy. And this is Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. I love this. Joseph said to them, don't fear. For am I in the place of God? Look, as for you, you meant evil against me. Because they started all that mess for Joseph. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. I kind of intentionally skipped past it, but over and over in Joseph's story, though things kept getting worse, you keep seeing it. It'll talk about how God was with Joseph. God showed Joseph favor. God was blessing Joseph. Listen, your situation is not an indicator of God's involvement in your life. I promise he's involved. Just because you are in a hole does not mean that you are not on God's heart. Just because you're in a pit does not mean that he does not have a plan or purpose for you. So be patient, get some grit, trust God, and don't miss your moment. He's got a plan for you. I wanna pray for us. I know we're about five minutes over, but we're gonna sing one more song that just kind of says, God, I'm going to trust you wherever you go. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust your plans even when I don't understand them. Even when I'm in a pit, I'm going to trust that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. Don't miss your moment. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for man, this group and even just their faithfulness to come on a night when I know so many of them have so much to do <laughs> and they're swamped. Um, 
and maybe even came tonight wondering if their faithfulness to come and hang out with believers would get them anywhere. <laughs> God, I pray that they would be encouraged. Lord, that all of us would learn to be patient with what you're doing in our lives, that all of us would learn to get some grit and to be faithful even when it's hard, that all of us would trust you and remember Jesus, that we keep our eyes on Jesus. God, I pray that even right now as we just have a moment to be still, that you would stir our hearts, may bring to mind some moments that we know we've missed because we, we gave up on you before you gave up on us. <laughs> and God, may we not wallow in that shame and guilt, but may that feeling drive us to want to be used by you, to want to be faithful to you. God, we don't want to miss moments, whether they're big, whether they're small. None of them are insignificant, the moments you have for us, the ways that you want to use us. So God, I pray that as we realize and, and trust and believe that you want to use us in bigger ways than we could dream, that that would motivate us to pursue you and to walk with you and not do U-turns in the pool of life, but to keep digging, to keep pushing, to knowing that there's going to be breakthrough, to knowing that you're going to do things in us and through us. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you, I pray that they would realize that <laughs> the journey starts with turning to Jesus, who really is the perfect one. Even Joseph was a failure and messed up at times we know, but Jesus is our perfect example, our perfect sacrifice. Lord, thank you that Jesus was willing to go to the pit of death on a cross, but that you didn't leave him there, that you had a plan for him, that you raised him up out of that grave to offer us salvation and life. And so I pray that as Christians, God, we will look to Jesus as our example and as our motivation. And Lord, I pray that, again, if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you, they would turn to Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness of sin. Lord, even when life doesn't seem fair, help us to be faithful. And even when it doesn't seem like there's any good to being godly, help us to be persistent. We trust your plan. God, I pray that as we sing this song, you would just move in our lives give us a passion to be faithful. It's your name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand and sing with us. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LBK.